Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Muggles with Attitude. I'm Alice Sullivan. I'm Micah Sparkman. And I'm Jeff Lake. Today, we're going to be delving into the sport of Quidditch. We're going to do a quick overview of the game as we see it in Harry Potter, and then we're going to be interviewing Liz Renshaw, a Muggle Quidditch player who will tell us a little more about the game. So just briefly, uh, Quidditch was a wizarding sport invented by J.K. Rowling. It was first introduced in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in 1997. Muggle Quidditch was invented by college students at Middlebury College in Vermont in 2005. Okay, so today we are interviewing Liz Renshaw, who has been playing Muggle Quidditch for six years and is going to give us some insight into the sport. So my first question, Liz, how did you become interested in playing Muggle Quidditch? Uh, Mainly because Facebook is big brother, and (laughs) I was able to see that I had RSVP'd uh, to see Harry and the Potters and Potter Puppet Pals at the Troubadour here in L.A., And then there was a Muggle Quidditch tournament happening about like five miles from where I was living in LA. So I put those two together and constantly started advertising the uh, tournament on the the, uh, advertisement tab that they used to have on the uh, old UI. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a classmate in college that played for the Hollywood Harpies. So I'd heard about it. Um, but she wasn't really athletic, so I never took it seriously. Um, but they advertised it enough that eventually I looked into it. And uh, just going from there, I then looked up some local teams and decided to try it out. Okay, so how exactly do you play Muggle Quidditch? How does it differ from the Quidditch that's described in Harry Potter? Um, well, we don't fly. That <laughs> That, that is, question. unless you have, like, there are some really good uh, players with jumps. Like, white boys can jump in Quidditch. So there's, <laughs> there's some amazing uh, avoidances of uh, bludgers, I will say that. Um, so we do ride quote-unquote brooms. Uh, usually they're redesigned PVC pipes, uh, but Peterson brooms do design some really well-designed equipment that have more of a broom-like look to them. So we do ride between those, but that's mainly to add the um, element of having to learn how to catch one-handed, throw one-handed, tackle one-handed. So it adds in another athletic element to it. Um, So you have the quaffle, and that's about the same. You pass that between the chasers and the keepers. You have the three hoops of different heights. Um, The beaters get changed up a little bit. Uh, They don't have bats, but they do throw the bludger around, which is a slightly deflated dodgeball. (laughs) <laughs> and then seeking is probably the biggest change. So what you have is a snitch runner who is not on either team. And he has the snitch, which is usually like the old school way is a little tennis ball on a sock attached to the back of his pants. And the seekers chase after him and he's allowed to do anything. Uh, I've seen snitches throw seekers over their backs, you know, toss them to the ground, grab their brooms and throw them the complete different side of the pitch and unlike in harry potter where it was worth like 150 points or something the uh snitch is only worth uh, 30 points so it's a bit more intense the score is a lot closer interesting i wonder if there was a big fight with harry potter purists about that you know it's interesting it wasn't really started by 
huge Harry Potter fans when Aristotle started at Middlebury. Um, and I don't think there was much disagreement, especially when the sport started, because it was very much like they're really awesome teams and really poor teams. Having mm-hmm. the 30 points was kind of nice. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. What position do you play? Um, before I had to retire for injuries, I mainly played chaser and seeker. Later in my career, I started playing beater because I thought I wouldn't get injured as much. Uh, but my primary position was probably chaser. Probably played more games in that position. Mm-hmm. So how physically demanding is muggle Quidditch? Uh, if you're playing at the top levels, so if you're going to the national tournaments, if you're playing for major league quits during the summer, or if you're on the national team, uh, then incredibly physical. We have had several people that, especially at UT Austin, um, where I played for a bit, you would have people that were star football players that wouldn't get onto the football team at Texas because it's Texas football, and they'd play Quidditch. Top baseball (laughs) players... Uh, a lot of Quidditch players, when they get older, they'll go and play rugby. So you have a great number of athletes that play it. That doesn't mean that you can't be a Harry Potter fan and more of a quote-unquote nerd and not play Muggle Quidditch. But I'd say at the elite level, we're just as much athletes as anyone else. Wow, okay. Are there a lot of different Quidditch teams and are there tryouts? Yeah, so there's two different levels in the U.S. There's the collegiate level. And there's what there's called the community level, which is usually uh, post-college students or those that are of college age but do not live um, or attend a university that has a team. Uh, So there's about over 200, I think, college teams, maybe over 50 community teams just in the U.S. alone. Uh, That's not even talking about the global aspect of it. And then um, Major League Quidditch, who I work for now, is sort of the summer pro league. And we have four regions, four teams each, so 16 teams all across country. Interesting. Do the teams mirror the teams in the books? I, I think in the past, I'd say five years, there's really been a step away from being Harry Potter-esque. So there are definitely some teams that have taken on names that would be similar. Um, At UT, they have, and at several other schools, I believe Texas State does this, and I think UC Irvine used to do this. They would have intramural teams, so not the varsity or the JV, that would be named after the houses. Uh, So I played on Slytherin when I was at UT. We called ourselves Slytherwin, which we did (laughs) quite well. Three house cups in a row. You know, just that. Um, But I think there's definitely been uh, sort of trying to step away because there is always going to be that issue that we do not own the copyrights to Quidditch. We're a nonprofit organization because of that. And there has been a debate, and I think especially in the past two or three years, it's been going on more. Could we get away with changing the names, like not using Quaffle, not using Quidditch, and still retain our sport and not relate it to Harry Potter at all. Because sometimes relating it to Harry Potter works to our disadvantage. Oh, in what ways? Well, first of all, you get everyone asking, oh, do you ride brooms? Can you fly? You know, and <laughs> They know we can't fly. It, it's a ridiculous question 
they think we're all nerds because we play Quidditch. They don't really think of us as athletes at all. They ignore the full contact aspect of it. They ignore the that we have the most gender equality in regards to playing. It's a co-ed sport. Um, we have non-binary players. Uh, we recognize gender identity rather than birth. And that all gets completely ignored. Um, if you look at a lot of papers or articles that have been written about Quidditch, we're kind of what they call a quote-unquote unicorn sport, where we're not taken seriously. They're just like, oh yeah, that's this fun game over here. Um, and I feel that if we weren't associated with Harry Potter, if we just kind of had it be its own sport, that it might actually be looked at uh, seriously. Where I'm at in Michigan half the year, Ultimate Frisbee is huge. Like, those are athletes. That That's a big sport. It's like, it's Ultimate Frisbee. You're throwing a Frisbee around like kids have played this for years. And if I mention <laughs> that I play Quidditch, people are like, that's not a sport. Yeah, it seems like Frisbee is just a as much a made-up word as Quidditch is. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a really inclusive sport. If there are college kids or people who are not in school but would like to find some sort of community building um, way of being together, where should they go? Um, they, If they're in college, they should definitely check to see if there's a team. Usually they're club-based, so they're usually officially associated with the university. Um with the exception of some California schools, this last national tournament was held in Texas, and some schools that were publicly funded would not help financially support teams to travel to Texas because they count as not employees, but there is that federal rate or that state regulation in California that they won't pay government employees to go to states that have. Uh, anti-LGBT laws or the bathroom laws and stuff. Mm -hmm. But usually they're a club sport if it's uh, at the college area. So you can always uh, search that way. Um, USQuidditch.com is probably going to be your best source for information. And if you want to play um, during the summer, Major League Quidditch. And then just looking for Facebook groups. Uh, there's a lot of uh, low-key tournaments during the summer that aren't like official teams. They're uh, drafts that occur or even randomly joining up with a team, and that's a good way to get introduced. Summer's a really good time to uh, get to know the community around you because people travel all over the country in the summer just to play in these low-key tournaments. Mm -hmm. Do you have any particular teams that uh, you're a fan of? Uh, well, I used to play for the Los Angeles Gambits and for uh, Lone Star Quidditch Club. So obviously I'm a fan of those teams because I used to play for mm -hmm. them, uh, which is slightly problematic. Two different regions. They are rival teams. Um, so that's always a little difficult. Uh, I am a very big fan of the Northwest region. It's a newer region, and I feel that they as a community try to help each out, out uh, other more than other communities, which can be uh, quite a bit competitive. Uh, the community in Texas, there are so many teams in a close area that it becomes really easy to poach players. Um, and the same thing happens. LA has dozens of teams, so it becomes really easy. But I feel the Northwest region 
I've gone to tournaments over the summer up there, and they are some of the nicest Quidditch players I've ever met. Um, so I would say any of those guys are huge fans of. You know, as a sports fan, that sounds pretty intriguing because uh, one thing that always bothers me about pro sports is that they're they're just a bunch of mercenaries from all over. They don't really represent the region. Mm-hmm. Would you say that Quidditch is uh, more of the players represent the region they're playing out of? Yeah, I'd be the bigger trader. Uh, I was attending UT, did not play for UT. I played for Los Angeles while I was attending that school. So I was more of a trader than anyone else. <laughs> um, yeah, I would definitely say so. Uh, when people graduate, so they'll play for the collegiate team. Obviously, they have school pride. And afterwards, you know, move to different towns for jobs and stuff. But they usually stick around and play for those teams. There aren't too many players that won't play for a team where they are locally um just because Mm. travel becomes an issue and practicing i would probably be the exception to that rule but that's because i learned to play in the west coast so i wanted to play for west coast teams Mm. and for major league quidditch you are required to live within 100 miles of whatever team you play for but there's definitely regional rivalry uh rivalry happening a lot um West Coast, best coast, I have to say. Hashtag <laughs> um, But I, I think it's I think it's good for the sport because you're not only close to your team, you're close to the teams in your region, et cetera, et cetera. So Yeah, I've I've always wished that uh, that American sports would would borrow something like the Premier League relegation system where you could uh, group the teams together at a sort of same play style and skill level. Uh, and so they could they could really like build up rivalries, you know? Yeah, and they definitely are there. And what's been really nice uh, with the community is this is all essentially student-driven. Like, you now have people that have been graduating and they still work with it. But we're still talking young kids. And they'll set up themselves, even if the league doesn't, a tournament for sort of the level B teams that happens at the same time as nationals. So those teams that don't make it to nationals, they Mm. can still go and compete in their own sort of national. So there are definitely different levels and the community itself tries to get everyone to be involved. Would you say there's different uh, play styles for for different uh, regions? Yeah, definitely. Um, Especially when you're going like the North region versus the South region. Uh, Mm -hmm. North region has to play most of their regionals in snow. Oh, so yeah. they're yeah. not going to play the same tackle or speed that the teams in Texas play. Yeah, when you said the tournament was in Texas, I was thinking some of those Michigan teams must be suffering a bit. Yeah, it definitely comes into play. They've held most of the tournaments uh, prior to that were like in South Carolina and Florida. So it was just as humid and hot. And it was really, I do think it's a bit unfair putting it in that climate. Because these Texas mm-hmm. teams are going to come out, and it's going to be no different for them. But it, it's are there any good. indoor teams? No, there's no. There have been tournaments held indoors. Playing Quidditch on AstroTurf is horrible. Uh, <laughs> I have practiced on it, and getting tackled on that is horrible. A mm-hmm. lot of the indoor soccer fields don't allow cleats. Um, because it messes Mm. with their, and so I believe it was Western Regionals a few years ago, they had to move indoors, 
and they had to play it in a closed soccer uh, pitch. So it actually had the walls and everything. And you either played barefoot or with regular tennis shoes. And it was horrible. Oh, wow. Yeah. It seems a real jarring change. Yeah. But we've played in snow and play in rain. Uh, it's just what we do. Are injuries very common? Horribly so. Uh, I, in my time of playing, I had two season-ending uh, injuries. I had a broken rib, and then I had a cracked clavicle in two different seasons. Uh, concussions are pretty rampant. Uh, I think, what, Harry Potter broke his arm in, like, one of the books? I've seen elbows go in directions they should not go. Uh, definitely. I'd say concussions are the biggest issue, though. Right What's now. the most dangerous position? Uh, I'd probably say just in how they've been changing the rules, Chaser. Uh, Chaser is the most tackling involved. So I would say uh, Chaser slash Keeper, because they do similar stuff, is probably the most dangerous position. Yeah. What does the age range look like for Quidditch? Are there children's teams, teams for post-collegiate? There are rules for what they call Kidditch, which is more middle school, high school. <laughs> Uh, so there are rules that take out some of the tackling. Uh, so then you do have the collegiate range, which are usually 18 to 22-year-olds. Um, from post-collegiate, I know there are some players that have their doctorate now. So I'd say the oldest you're going to get is mainly about like 30 is sort of when everyone starts walking away. I would say the average post-collegiate age range is maybe 25. Four twenty-five. Hmm. That sounds pretty in line with other contact sports. Yeah, it's it comes down to contact, but it also comes down to we pay for all of this out of our own pocket. So people go on to get jobs, and they can't get the vacation days to travel to tournaments. You know, life just comes into play. Uh, hmm. I know that when I came in with injuries uh, for various things to work, like. I would totally lie about how I got that injury because I know I'd get in trouble if it. I said I was doing Quidditch or something. Um, I know people that have lied when they've gone to the hospital because they get made fun of by the nurses if they say, it, it's happened. I was with a teammate and they had bust up their knee and they said they were playing soccer because <laughs> when they told one nurse they were playing Quidditch, they wouldn't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, bro. I was drop kicking a keg over the fence. <laughs> it was much more believable to people when I said I was in a fight club. And that explains <laughs> all my bruises. They believed that more, that 5'1", 125-pound me was in a fight club. And I got the injuries playing Quidditch. <laughs> Why is it looked down on so much? Is it because people perceive of Harry Potter books as being children's books? Or... Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Any other questions? Yeah, you mentioned there were pro leagues uh how pro is pro so major league quidditch likes to call itself a pro league and i work for them so i should support uh that <laughs> um i would say that they count as the pro league just because of the resources around them they have more sponsorships um they're a bit more organized than uh the regular season leagues um and they're much more elite players uh, they're very select cities. The tryouts are much harder. Uh, we have official statisticians, which is what I do. I'm regional coordinator for 
uh, the North and West statisticians. Um, so I would say that it's pro in that it's organized to appear as professional as possible. It would probably still count as an amateur league, but it's not a bunch of college kids doing a sports club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what semi-pro used to mean. Yeah, we don't it, really it, that if semi-pro existed, then Major League Quidditch would be semi-pro. And then mm-hmm. maybe you could argue that national teams that go on to play at global games would be pro. So is there like a national champion uh, declared each year or something like that? Yes, so it used to be international up to a few years ago, but now there is... It used to be international, then it used to be national and now it's national collegiate team and national community team uh there was an argument that it was unfair for community teams to play collegiate teams because usually um community teams are made up with much more experienced players they were older so they were more physical so just this past season they split it up into uh two different national tournaments are there any teams that particularly do well year over year are there any you know sweethearts i guess of the <laughs> it really is Austin, Texas. That, that's all. You have Texas State Quidditch, uh, UT Austin. You have Texas Cavalry, um, Lone Star Quidditch Club. If you live in Austin, Texas, that surrounding area, you're going to be making it to the quarterfinals at least. Guaranteed. Awesome. Wow. And what kind of equipment do you need to have? You mentioned uh, PVC pipe. Yeah, so PVC pipes for the brooms. Uh, usually like PVC and hula hoops work well for the, uh, hoops. And then in regards to, uh, the balls used, you're going to look at a deflated volleyball for quaffle, uh, deflated and just slightly deflated just so you can get your hand around it. Slightly deflated dodgeball for the bludgers. And then you can usually, you can buy official, uh, snitches that, there are fizzle snit shorts that have Velcro on the back that you can attach uh, a snit that you buy, but you can always just get a sock, <laughs> get a tennis ball, tie it around some guy's pants, and you're good to go. <laughs> so, so um, when you're, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to like picture how this plays. So, if you are, or maybe, could you take us through like a play of the game, like what this would look like, because uh, you know, obviously we can kind of imagine what, how Wizard Quidditch would work. So, uh, what, what, how does it, how does it work? I guess, do you, are you throwing the ball? I mean, you have, a, you have the... Yeah, I would compare it closer to like basketball or hockey, how it's going to look. And I'm not even going to start with like what it is when the snitch gets on pitch, because that's just chaos. Yeah. Um, so what you can imagine is, you know, you have your two beaters, your three chasers, your keeper... And you can think of them very similar to, like, defensemen offense. So let's say you have bludger control, which means you have two of the three bludgers. Your offense is probably going to walk up, maybe get into, like, a diamond formation so that you can pass the quaffle around. Um, You might have one of your beaters come up to, like, tag people out, and when you get hit by a bludger, you have to run back to your hoops off your broom, and then you come back into the game. So you're probably looking at, like, slowly moving up, passing it around a bit, and then uh, just trying to get enough space between you and the opposing team to hopefully dunk it into the hoop, but 
you have good aim and there's no one blocking it to throw it in. So the the bludgers is it is it like a tag? If you get hit with a bludger, you're you're temporarily out, or is it just a? I mean, how how how, how does a bludger? It, usually, you're gonna throw it because you can't. You have to be able to release it. So you can do like a short tag as long as you release the bludger. If you get hit by the bludger, you have to get off your broom. You hold it, but you get off of it. Run back to your hoops, tag them, and you can come back in. So if you're on offense and you're all the way down at your opponent's hoops and you're about to score and you get hit by the bludger, you got to run all the way back to your side to get back into the game. And when the snitch is captured, does the game end as it is in wizard? Yes. Uh, okay. It ends on less scores and tied. And then you have overtime. <laughs> uh, so, so does that mean that some of the games can be very short or is, is it generally the fact that the snitch is pretty good? We have a regulated time of when the snitch comes in. Um, it's a little different for different leagues. I believe for regular season, it's 18 minutes it comes out. So the teams will play without a snitch for 18 minutes, and then the snitch will come out and hopefully last a while. I've seen a snitch last like 10 seconds, and it's horrible. It's underwhelming. It's anticlimactic. Uh, but usually they can last a while. There does come a point where... Uh, for Major League Quidditch, I think we do time caps at 30, 35 minutes. If the snitch has not been caught, the snitch wins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned international uh, in international tournaments. Uh, they aren't done anymore, but the, in, in the a few years ago, they were actual international tournaments? No, they're, they're still done. Um, oh, international sure. teams used to be able to compete uh, at the tournament that was held in the U.S., uh, so we have global games every two years, which is where um, several countries have their national teams. Uh, the U.S. won that, I believe, three years in a row, and then Australia uh, took it last time. So the international tournament called Global Games will be in Firenze, Italy in July this year, I believe. So we'll have teams from all over the world uh, Canada, U.S., Australia. There'll be a couple of Asian teams this year, several European. Uh, so those are the national teams. But there are also leagues within these other countries. So there is an Australian league. Uh, there's European leagues to some extent, but some countries have enough teams that they have uh, leagues of their own. So I believe Germany and England have their own league too. Um so yeah, it it's pretty much the exact same thing that happens in the U.S., just smaller. Is the so is the team that competes for each country a particular team that's done well, or is it an amalgamation of players from different teams? How does that work? Um, it's usually an amalgamation of uh, players. Gotcha. And uh, ballpark, how many teams compete in the international tournament? How many countries, I suppose, compete? For global games, uh, I think this year we're looking at maybe 12, uh, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. It's grown uh, every year as the sport has progressed. And I know I'm going to seem like a traitor saying this, but I think Australia winning was important for the growth of the sport because it showed that America isn't the only place that's good at Quidditch. <laughs> and I yeah. think that kind of helps other countries be like, oh, we can actually beat the U.S. <laughs> so. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, on, on occasion. Uh, on occasion. Rarely. Uh, oh, yeah. There's 29 teams 
competing. Oh wow, cool. Yeah, that's serious. Yeah. Fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Liz? Um, just that I think that everyone should give Quidditch a chance. Uh, they're fun to go and watch. You can find plenty of YouTube videos. Um, most major cities uh, have teams that you can go and see. And I would just do the research um, and at least go to like a practice. I wouldn't like watch it, be like, oh, I'm not sure how I can do this. Uh, it's a really open community. There's pretty much no city... I could go to in the US and like if I don't know what I'm doing or don't know good places to go to, I could just post on a Quidditch page. It's like, hey, I'm in New York, you know, is there a practice I can uh, jump into? Um, we're all really helpful to each other. We'll do each other favors all the time. Um, it's because we're essentially underdogs. Like no one gets us but us. So we have mm -hmm. to be there for each other. So it's a really welcoming community. Yeah, that sounds like a, a pretty fun time. I didn't even realize that here in Austin we were living at the epicenter of Quidditch. Uh, yeah, we should check it out. We should go check it out. Yeah, I think we have to now. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so you have it, the Austin Outlaws, who were last year's Major League Quidditch champions. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Are there? Are there uh, is, is the is the um, what's it league? Uh, Season going on. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I actually During don't know enough about sports to know the right word. Yes, the word is season. Yeah. Season. Thank you. Is it active right now? Or are we? Is it? Is yes. This Quidditch season During now? uh during the summer, you have Major League Quidditch going on, and I believe Austin Outlaws' first uh, series of games is in July. Might be coming up earlier than that. Um, but yeah. So Major League Quidditch runs from June through August. Okay, my, my last question for you, Liz. So let's say you're really interested in learning to play, but you're not very athletically gifted. Um, coordinated. <laughs> yeah, or coordinated. That's me. I, I have no coordination. Oh, okay. I thought they were making fun of me. Oh, no. So you're not okay. particularly athletic yourself, but you're just looking to find a group of people with a shared interest and to have a good time. What sort of indicators would we be looking for? What would you advise? So some universities uh, have intramural teams, which aren't the JV or the varsity. It's just people at the school that want to play, uh, but they don't want to play in that competitive level, or maybe they don't want to travel uh, during the school year. So that's always something to look at if you're playing in college. It's a little bit harder for post-college, but I would say um, summer fantasy tournaments are the best things to do. So fantasy quidditch is sort of like NFL fantasy or NBA fantasy, except instead of drafting your dream team, you actually <laughs> get to play with your dream team where GMs, you know, pick players out of a list and you actually get to see them compete and stuff. Um, those are much more low key than during the regular season. Uh, so finding summer tournaments to play in is a good way to introduce yourself to the community. Um, and sometimes there are just some teams that want to play for fun. And every team needs subs. <laughs> what do you think is the best position if you're not athletically inclined? <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to get, like, so much hate for this because <laughs> everyone's going to be like, they're all athletically required. I w I'm only going to say beater just because they've changed so many rules. There used to be a lot more tackling involved in that position. 
and there isn't as much tackling involved. So I'm going to say Beater only because it changed the rules. <laughs> but I know that some of the most amazing athletes are Beaters. Molly Lensing for Lone Star Quidditch, and she played on Austin Outlaws, is one of the most athletically inclined people, just like men, women, doesn't matter, I know. So she'll probably kill me if I'm like, oh, if you're least athletic, you should be beater. <laughs> uh, you mentioned rule changes. Is it because of injuries? Sometimes it's because of injuries. Uh, sometimes it's to make the sport a bit more entertaining. Mm-hmm. There was an issue with a strategy called slow balling. Um, so in basketball, you have the half court violation where if you step mm-hmm. back, uh, and we had to initiate rules similar to that because teams would get ahead to a certain point, start slow balling it, wait for the snits to come out and not allow the other team even a chance to get their score close. Um, so sometimes rules are changed for that. Sometimes they are changed for injury. I would say that's probably the main reason. And sometimes the wording and phrasing gets changed for the refs um, because the refs are usually kids, you know, college kids and post-college, you know, but still all young. So sometimes rules get changed just so um, they're not as subjective. Yeah, the sports rules seem to be a challenge even for uh, professional referees with many years of experience. So that's a good point. It's good to simplify them. Mm-hmm. Well, Liz, thank you so much. This was incredibly interesting to find out more about the sport, and I really appreciate you taking your vacation time to talk to us about it. Yeah, always happy to talk about Quidditch. All right, well, thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Muggles with Attitude. We'll be back next time. Uh, we're going to, since we finished reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, we're going to watch the movie and come back with some commentary and pithy thoughts critique. about the movie. Critique, yeah. yes. Um, in the meantime, just keep listening. And if you haven't checked out our other podcast, The Dragon Reread, go ahead and give that a listen and share us on whatever platform you got this on. Uh, like us in real life. We're very likable. <laughs> and until next time, Finite, Finite Podcast. Podcast.